You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Waiting to get picked is a pretty traumatic experience. Do anybody remember back to the, the schoolyard pick, right? The schoolyard pick. I was a pretty good all-around athlete in school, and I still hated that sandlot draft process. Um, why is that? Why do we fear that? Well, on a couple levels, we fear that. One is we, none of us like getting embarrassed, right? And the embarrassment that fits into this is someone else determining that you don't measure up, all right? The second would be um, a little deeper, that we really, um, down deep, we want to belong and we want to contribute. So we're not really afraid of the pick process. What we're afraid of is the not getting picked possibility. So the first five weeks of this series has been on, um, on how we are personally renewed by the Holy Spirit. And when I step back and I, and I look at this summer series at a, at a different perspective than when I started it, I would have called the first half the Holy Spirit in me. How does the Holy Spirit renew and change me? Now we're taking a shift in the last four weeks of the summer series, and we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit shapes and renews the church. And so this would you, I would call the Holy Spirit and we. Um, How does the Holy Spirit shape and direct and empower us as a church? And so today we're going to explore the church as a called out people. The next two weeks we're going to explore the church known as the body of Christ. And then we're going to end in actually something I don't think I've ever preached on. um, And that, that is the church as the bride of Christ. And so that's going to be the church and we and the Holy Spirit's role in the church over the next four weeks. More and more, and you will find this to be true, and um, Rick, we even had a conversation before service, that the culture is, is more and more dismissive of the church. Um, they're dismissive because the, the church in their eyes is irrelevant, which, which really means that it has no real life connection, right? So that, okay, I'll give you that you might like being together or you might like singing together or you might like eating together. But the fact of the matter is all the stuff that you're, that you're learning or teaching or, or, or sharing with one another is really just kind of confined to a religious um, uh, echosphere or something, right? It, it's really not anything that's useful outside. The second is that, um, or actually as we're moving along in this culture, not, we've moved actually past people seeing the church as irrelevant and starting to see the church as dangerous, okay? Dangerous. Now, why is that? It's because um, Christ is counter-cultural, Okay, and and countercultural means there's a contrast and the contrast is becoming more and more stark than it's ever been. In fact, when you look at um, recent studies uh, on on religious preference, if you will, there's a rise in what's called the nuns. And that's not Catholic. That's not N-U-N-S. It's nuns, N-O-N-E-S. All right, that there's no religious affiliation. And here, here's an interesting point to why that's happening. Because the contrast is becoming that much starker, this is a good thing, not a bad thing. Okay, countercultural, that is making, making this being a very clear choice 
and who are what's going to be lead and central to your life. All right. So the church is starting to look even more different than the culture. And, you know, the fact of the matter that the church looking more like the culture, that's more of a problem than the other. But that's why they're considering it dangerous. We're more at odds. Look, I mean, look at what's happening even with the defacement of Catholic churches. What's that about? Well, it's about pro-life and pro-choice, right? It's about the Catholic church being the preeminent leader for centuries on, on the sanctity of life. And so they're, they're, now that contrast is being much more stark. But although Christ is uniquely uh, countercultural, he's also uniquely cross-cultural. <laughs> means that no one gets left out of his pick process. Jesus didn't pick and choose who he was going to die for and who he was going to offer to lead, right? He picks you and you and you. And even if you're sitting here and go, well, he wouldn't pick me. Yeah, I'm sorry. The pick process has already been completed and he's picked you. See, and so, so that's, that's uniquely the countercultural and the cross-cultural embodiment of the church is that we are counter-cultural. There should be a stark difference between the people of God, excuse me, the people of God and what they see and how they live and how they act and the world around us, and, but we should also be uniquely cross-cultural. Now, cross-cultural doesn't mean anything in our country anymore because it's all about how you think, not what you look like. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You don't, okay. So when the color of your skin no longer de determines, or your country of origin no longer determines whether you're, you're uh, cross-cultural, what determines is how you think. So you can be any skin pigmentation from any part of the world, but if you think differently than the current structure, then you're on the outside, okay? But the church, and this is, boy, you're going to have to suck this one up. The church is supposed to be and called to be cross-cultural, not just in how you look. And just not where you're from. Who are we reaching? The message doesn't change, but how does the message reach someone who thinks differently? The church is the embodiment of Jesus' countercultural message, and we are should be the champion of a cross-cultural message. Even for those inside the faith, the church is losing some of its value. And that's kind of how I see it. That, that it's losing some of its value. And here's how, this is, here's how I determine that. It's because the church can easily become another thing to do. Right? So it's, when it's another thing to do, then we evaluate what's to be done that week and whether or not, whether or not the experience of being together fits in that to-do list. And just because over, over decades that the involvement in local church shifts is an indication that, to the body, it's becoming less valuable. Since COVID-19, um, there's been a, a big push in my world about creating content. That, that, that um, if we could just supply enough content, okay? Um, I get it. Obviously, I'm a content provider because I write every week and stand before you every week to preach, but the church is so much broader and bigger than a place for content. But in our Western mind, it's we're, we're, we're you know my father-in-law can fix anything, 
And uh, not long ago, my mower wouldn't start. Now, my father-in-law is 84, and, but, but he has a, lawn, has a lawn business for, I don't know, 30 years. So I went to work one day. And I said, Jimmy, the, 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 the mower won't start. Will you fix it while I'm gone? Got it. So I get back home that night, and he says, hey, I figured out what the problem was. And I said, what? He said, you had a hole in your primer, in your primer bubble, which means then there was air getting in and not gas getting in. I'm like, like only an expert would know that, right? Only an expert. And I said, man, how did you figure that? I was going to pump him up, you know. Man, you're so smart. How'd you figure that out? He said, I Googled it. <laughs> right? If we, if we just have enough right information, then we can do this thing. But the church is so much more than a content provider. There, there's, a, there's a body, which I'll get into in a couple weeks, right? We're, we're a body. There, there's more to this than having all the right content. When speaking about the value of the church, and I know I'm biased, I mean, this is my life. But when I speak about the value of the church, I like to say this, the church was God's idea, and all of God's ideas are essential to life. The church was God's idea. We're catching up, literally, we're catching up to what his idea is of the church. So where we do miss being relevant, and we do, you know that, right? Where we do miss it, we're still catching up. It doesn't mean we're worthless. It just means we're gaining in value. I'll even say this, and I didn't write this down, and I thought about it, and I, I'm going to say it anyway. We know that scandal has plagued the church. Big, big C, right? But you know what the real problem is about that? There's going to be scandal. There's going to be people that fall. There's going to be stuff that happens because we're people. The problem is when we cover it up. Not that, not that it happens. You want to talk about the, the integrity of the church exploding, exposing scandal, not covering it. Saying, you know what? We love this brother or we love this sister. This was wrong. This needs to be fixed. This needs to be changed. And you deal with it. That gives back integrity to the body. But the church is God's idea. We're catching up to all that it holds, all that it encompasses. And as much as I love this place, we ain't here yet. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're still catching up to all of, of, of the beauty and all of the power and majesty and, 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 um, that, that the church can hold. Here's what I want, to know, want you to know regarding the Holy Spirit's connection to the church. One, the Holy Spirit's presence and power was essential in the birth of the church. We have this in the early in the book of Acts. So the Holy Spirit was essential to the birth of the church. So the Holy Spirit's presence and power is essential to our becoming the church. The Holy Spirit's presence and power is essential in fulfilling the mission of the church. And the Holy Spirit's presence and power is essential into renewing us as a church. The Holy Spirit birthed the church. The Holy Spirit will shape us and empower us for mission in the church and renew us in the church. It all rests still in the hands of the Spirit. So the immediate results of the new church is recorded in the last verses of chapter 2 of Acts. It's written this way. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they went in this day, they went from having 120 in average attendance. You, you can, you can, that was, all right, that was just a pastor joke. <laughs> to 3,120 in average attendance in a day. Okay, how, how many know that was probably a mess to try to, try to organize, right? All right, so we, but here's what's interesting about the New Testament. We have very little, we have very little about how the church should be organized, there's a lot of flexibility on how that plays out, right? But here's what's very, very plain, what happens to people once they come to Christ, right? So the church was becoming a group of people experiencing together this, 180 degree transformation. There was 3,000 people in that day, their life took a spin, 180 degrees, all right? Then there became this unprecedented hunger and thirst for the things of God. Guys, the things of God is different than the things of this world. It's not that the things of this world, all of them are bad, not at all, but they, none of them measure up to the things of God. They just don't. And here became an unprecedented hunger and thirst for the things of God. There was an irresistible gravitational pull to be together. This is one of my favorite things about the church. Like, like last weekend when we were out of town, I was at church at nine o'clock in the morning at a little church in Monroe, Georgia, because I wanted to be around God's people. And that hasn't always been that way. You pastor long enough, you don't always want to be around God's people. <laughs> but it's happened this way with me in other countries and everything else. When I can meet a fellow believer, there is an irresistible gravitational pull. It's almost like, even though we might disagree on a whole host of things, it's almost like you get in, you get in that room and you go, they get me. They get me. They experienced open hands. I, I, I see it almost as a supernatural gift of generosity that's rarely exhibited even in blood relation families, right? That someone had a need, and I got 30 acres. I'm going to sell five or 10 of that, and we'll take care of the need. I mean, that, that, is, that, is, a, that is a Holy Spirit transformed perspective of what I have versus what I'm stewarding. And then they had open hearts, because there was an exuberance for any and all to join to be a part of that. And if there's one thing that I hear about church over my, my, my lifetime, from being a student pastor on up, was, well, they're clicky. Right? You've heard that phrase, right? It usually is thrown at student ministries. That's why I protect student ministries over this phrase. Well, those kids are clicky. No, they're kids. Okay? They're 12 and 14-year-olds that are just trying to be concerned about, will anybody talk to them? Right? And when someone talks to them, they're good. Like, who in here, if you had one friend, you're good? clicky. <laughs> right? But, but I believe that because, to overcome that natural sense of protection that we have over ourselves, the Holy Spirit starts breaking that down a little bit. And we start becoming more vulnerable about who we are in front of people. And we listen and we let people be more vulnerable about who they are in front of us. And that's what starts creating this irresistible urge to be around people like that. But see, if we've just come for content today, that part's irrelevant. 
All right. So with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the powerful launch of the church, the oppositional leaders in Jerusalem were caught flat-footed. They thought with the death of Jesus that this movement would just die off. Did something, a phone speak? I heard something. I don't have in ears. Um, so they thought it would just die off. Now, but what happened was it took off. Right? And so they didn't, know what, they didn't really know what to do with all of this. Um, we don't have any major opposition to the church in Acts until Acts chapter 7. Okay? Now, everybody had kind of settled in. Um, the church has started to take on some leadership development because now there's an issue that needs to be addressed about the, 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 the widows who are Greek and Gentile and, and the widows who are Jewish. That, that they weren't getting an even distribution of, of food. And so now the organization has to kick in because you went from 120 to 3,000 and more. Right? So they chose seven men full of the Holy Spirit. There was Greek. There was Jewish. And they chose these people together. And they said, you guys handle it. That's how I lead. You guys handle it. Here's the problem. You guys handle it. All right? And so now there was one of these men named Stephen, and he was described this way, being full of God's grace and power, and he did miraculous signs among the people. And after one of these miraculous signs, he gets arrested. And in his defense, he preaches the gospel. The guy you killed is the Messiah. They stone him. They stone him. In other words, they took stones, they threw it at him until he died. And here comes the first real push of persecution in the church. And some people settled in. Some of the church settled into Jerusalem, kind of circled the wagons and said, we're going to, we're going to stay put. But a number of them took off and, tried, and went to other places where there wasn't that kind of persecution. But listen, if it wasn't for the persecution of the church, at best, the mission of the church would have been really, really slowed. At worst, it would have stopped. That they would have kept it there in Jerusalem. And that would be like saying, if you want Jesus, you come to us. That's heavy, isn't it? If you want to hear about this life-changing event in my life, and the person who changed this life-changing event, you're going to have to make a trek to Jerusalem. Because we're going we're we're to keep it here. And here's a good lesson for us to learn. A satisfied church, and when I say church, I need you to understand, I'm talking about people. Okay? Each time you hear the word church, it's not possible. I do not want you to sit in the room and go, oh, yeah, church. Oh, that's the church. Because since the church are people, you need to be thinking me and us. Okay? And so, a satisfied church or people stays put. A stirred church or people spreads out. A satisfied church stays put. A stirred church spreads out. And Acts chapter 11 becomes the tipping point of the church. The tipping point. Let me read out of 19, uh, verse 19 through 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus, and we don't even have their names. Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So some information about Antioch would be helpful here. First, it was the third largest city in the world at the time. Rome and Alexandria were the two largest, and Antioch was the third largest. So it was a very influential city. But it was particularly known for its lax moral sexual standards. All right, so the, the reputation was mainly due to three temples and three gods. First, there was a temple to Artemis. And Artemis, in, in, he, he kind of covered multiple kind of areas of life, but one was for, he was worshipped as a fertility god. And then there was Apollo. And, and the, the worship practices around Apollo was notoriously lewd and lustful behavior. And then right outside of town, there was another temple, um, Astart. And the temple worship at Astart included ritual prostitution. Temple prostitution. Not something you think you show up for church with, right? So this, this, is, the env this is the environment that the church explodes in. This was the tipping point of the church as we know it happened in this city, a city that you couldn't even imagine how stark the contrast was between this growing church out of persecution and what their culture was like. That is what so encourages me about the culture we find ourselves in right now. I know that it's more comfortable to kind of just settle in with some folk that think like you, talk like you, look like you, taste like you. I, I know that. I know it's comfortable to be a Christian among Christians. I know it's comfortable to be a church among churches. How many know there's a few churches around here? When I first came, people asked me, why are you planting a church in Franklin? Do you think we need another church? And I said, well, do we need another bank? Because <laughs> when I moved here, there was banks going up on every corner. Do we really need another Walgreens? You know what I'm saying? There's so much market research that goes into that stuff, they understand that there's so many people that live in this area that can't be serviced by this restaurant. That's why there, but there are more churches than McDonald's in Nashville. That's, that's a true stat. I know it's more comfortable to live in that environment, but we were never called to live in that environment. We're called out of that environment, which I'll get to in a minute, but we're called to be in this environment because this, in this environment is where the church does its best work. Satisfied, comfortable church stays put. A, a stirred church spreads out. The Greek word most associated with church is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. It had been around for a long time, even when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, called the Septuagint. It was used, and the word means assembly. But what's very unique is that word was used for any assembly until the church at Antioch. And after the church at Antioch, it is almost exclusively used to describe church as we know it. Tipping point, Antioch. So, ek means out. It's a prefix for out. Ecclesia called. So the ecclesia, 
The church, the assembly that happens in Antioch is known then more specifically as the called out ones. So the Antioch church became a tipping point for the identity of a church as a whole and then for the identity of those who make up the church because it was the first city, the first church where they were called Christians. Christians. How did the constituents of Antioch garner the name Christian? And it was by the content of the people's conversations. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus. If there was a problem, Jesus was the answer. If there was a question, Jesus had an answer. If there was a problem, Jesus was the solution. When I started reading through this stuff, what struck me is I did a wedding, I did a wedding uh, two, weeks, two nights ago. One, I don't know how. I've done, I've done a lot of weddings in my year. And then Gene and I have been to Hawaii three times. And we've always been around on the plane, honeymooners. I'm telling you what, honeymooners are some of the funnest people to be around. Because they don't know what they don't know yet. <laughs> and man, that, that, that bow and that girl, everything. You can be talking about animal crackers. And it's going to somehow come back around to how she's most, the most wonderful person in the entire world. And he's the most, right? And so after a while you go, yeah, they, they married. Well, there's a reason, even though, even though we're not going to get to it to the end of the month, that we're called the bride of Christ. So, so, so it's not just I'm enamored with Jesus. I'm in love with him. He's done something for me that I couldn't have done for myself. He saw stuff in me that nobody else saw. Now, we know in marriages, right, you go through rough patches. We know that she ain't all that, and he ain't the bag of chips, right? We, 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 we know this stuff, but we, we learn it and we grow into that, right? Because we've chosen love. I assure you, God knows all your shortcomings, all your failures, all your stinking thinking, he knows it all. And yet, I told you, he had already settled that issue and picked you. He picked you. And they had been picked and they had not been picked before. And so they just talked about Jesus. And so they dubbed them with this title, Little Christs. And although it was meant to be a pejorative slam, it turns into what we're called. We're called Christians. The tipping point, the church at Antioch, and one of the roughest cultural environments for a church to grow in. Um, here's what C.S. Lewis had to say about this. He said, now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ if we do, we shall then be sharing life which was begotten, not made, which always existed and always will exist. Christ is the Son of God. If we share in this kind of life, we also shall be sons of God. We shall love the Father as He does, and the Holy Ghost will arise in us. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men this kind of life He has by what I call good infection." Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. Jesus' commission, his first one of come follow me, was an invitation to be like me. Be like me. I pick you, come be like me. And the great commission was, y'all go. 
Y'all go and tell people to follow you and me. Okay? So, I believe more and more that we understand that um, you can talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. In, in, in so much in the sense that I don't think we can talk people into becoming a Christian anymore. But we can walk them to Christ. And this is how this particular church walked people to Christ. So, what would you think would be the byproduct of a very loose, sexual, lewd, immoral society where even sex is woven into their religious practices? What do you think that's going to produce? Children. And a, and a, and a practice in that, in that city and in that part of the world was something called infant exposure. And when they had a child that they didn't want, they took the child to the temple and laid it on the steps or on the temple, left to die. Rampant. How did the church at Antioch walk the walk? The church was the one known to go get those babies. It was going to take time for the city to change how it was going to act. And in the meantime of sharing the message of Christ, they went and got the babies. Any of this ringing a bell? I know this has caused a mess in our country, but you know what? If it wasn't this mess, it'd be another mess. Right? It would be. This one happens to be the one right now with this. When if you listen, remember inputs, inputs always have an impact on outputs. You don't listen to the truth, you don't know the truth. But we can argue rights, and we can argue this, and we can argue that, and Ricky was saying, you know, Christians, we're bad because we took away someone's rights, and you're not going to be able to argue this point. Can I help you understand this? I don't care how many articulate Facebook posts you write, you will not be able to argue this point. Because there's, there's darkness and there's blindness around this issue. Because we're not looking at what's happening to the child, we're just looking about a right. But we can go get some babies. How? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Some of you have already done it. Some of you have already adopted children. We're having more of a push to figure out how we do more respite care in here for the foster system. Some of you might not ever adopt a child. Some of you may not ever foster a child. But respite is something where you give a family a break for a weekend. Even I can do that. I'm not always the easiest person to get along with, but I can be nice for two days straight with a kid in my house. <laughs> We're going to have a baby shower here re coming up. I don't know when. Do we have a, a, a how many? 27th. 27th, there's going to be a baby shower for a pregnancy clinic where we're going to help them put diapers and formula and baby clothes and, you know, and we're going, we're going, we're going to try to give them as much. Boy, and if I, know, if I know this place, you guys are going to fill up some, some space in their place, right? Because that's walking the walk in a cultural situation where I'm not going to argue with you, I can't argue, I'm not going to change your mind about what you think about abortion and rights and all that stuff, but if you just see me say I'm going to do something about a decision I support, that's a whole different ballgame. Everybody with me? A church that is uh, comfortable sits. 
a church, a church that stirred spreads out. Last interesting point regarding that church in Antioch. This, one, this one's really amazing to me. The, peop, the message of a Messiah. So I'll talk to you a lot about Messiah and being saved, right? That's the, that's the American church. We'll talk about Messiah and being saved. Um, and Antioch, they didn't need saving. So if I'm going to speak to you about a Messiah or being saved and you don't think you need saving, I'm good. I got what I want, got what I need, life's good. I don't need salvation. But here's what's interesting. They understood the word Lord. They were looking for Lord. This is why they would worship at the temple, right? They were looking at something bigger than themselves. They were understanding that they couldn't control everything in their life. And so they were looking for a Lord. So there was another name, another Greek word for church. Um, where'd it go? You got it up there for me yet? I, it's hard to pronounce, but karaoke. It's a derivative of the Greek for Lord, kurios. And it means the Lord's house or belonging to the Lord. So they were inviting the church at Antioch, were inviting them to make Jesus Lord. And here this term comes out about church. See, the only lords they knew were the lords that took. They had no knowledge or experience with the Lord who gave until they met Jesus. And once they saw that there was another way to live, a bunch of people took it. So real quick, what are we called out of? If the church is the called out ones, what are we called out of? What are we called to? We're called out of darkness to light. And this is just a small list. Anxiety to peace. Futility to purpose. Darkness to light. Anxiety to peace. Futility to purpose. This is a stark contrast between what the world offers and what Christ offers. Darkness is dangerous, right? We avoid darkness. I don't even like parking my car in a place that's dark, right? I'll find a light to park my car under. But light provides peace and security. Darkness conceals, right? When you say that I'm in the dark about something, right? That means you don't, there's not an understanding of that. Light is truth and revelation. Dark impedes progress, so I'll, I'll work back here in this side room a lot during the week. And, you know, these lights are off. And if I come in this back door and all the lights are off, the only light switches in this place are, are back here. I can't tell you how many times I've run into that pillar right there. Because <laughs> right? it sticks out further than those two. And I don't walk slowly anywhere. So I'm surprised there aren't dents in that pillar, right? Darkness impedes progress. Light provides direction. Darkness leads to depression. How many people, like this is the longest winter you can, you can tolerate is the winter in Tennessee because of, how, because of the darkness, right? When it gets dark at like two in the afternoon, right? And you got, but light provides hope. Light provides hope. It's interesting that our eyes can adjust in dark areas, that our pupils can get 16 times larger than what they are normally when you walk into a dark space. 
to collect whatever light's there. And then there's a certain photoreceptor that kicks in with our eyes and our brain that after about 10 minutes and then even 20 minutes, you can function under very little light. And you can move and do what you're going to need to do. It's amazing how it works in our own life. How adjusted we can get to dark places. And how stark the contrast is when you hit light. And that's why we, we come alongside people coming to Christ. Because the light's a lot at first. You, you, it's, you can't drink all this from this fire hose. That's, that's why someone should be, be able to belong to somebody as they grow and learn to believe in someone. That's why we should have open hands and open hearts to everyone. In John 8 and 12, Jesus called himself the light of the world. In Acts 26, when Paul was re-quoting, re Paul's arrested, he's in, um, he's in front of a king. He's giving his testimony of what happened and what, how he got there. And he said when, when Jesus spoke to him, Jesus' commission was this. That he said, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Caught out of anxiety and peace. When you, when you look through um, Jesus' first sermon, Matthew 5, a few chapters later, one of my favorite chapters is Matthew 6 where he ends the chapter and says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But he starts that discourse and says, don't worry about your life. And he goes through a, a very, very you know, basic series of things, right? You're worried about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about your clothes. I clothe, I clothe these fields. Look at this field over here. I, I bet you when Jesus is teaching, there's a field of lilies off to his left or right. And he's saying, you see that field over there? I did that. You couldn't do that. I did that. How's that field look? Yeah, you want to go over and roll around in that field right now, don't you? That's how good work I do. You're worrying about taking care of yourself. Look, you're more valuable me to that. I got you. You're so wound up about tomorrow. Dude, listen, tomorrow will take care of itself when it gets here. You got today. I'll work with you today. And when tomorrow becomes today, I'm still here. But while you're so anxious about tomorrow, I can't get you there yet because I'm going to stick with you right now where we're here. See, see, without a Lord, I'm Lord. I don't care what I, who I count on to be Lord. At the end of the day, it's me. And I can't do all I need. And I can't provide all I need. And I don't have all the answers I need. And that means that I live in a state of anxiousness. But when the Prince of Peace becomes my Lord, now that's a different ballgame. I'm called out of anxiety to peace. When you're called out of the world and into belonging to the body, peace. And then there's futility and purpose. We have the tendency to believe that motion is progress. Movement in motion is not progress. Can be. You can't make progress without moving. But just because you're moving doesn't mean you're making progress. Living for myself, I have found in my life, all that happens is my life starts leaking. 
it leaks. Good for a little while. I know how to fill even some of it back up a little bit, right? But it leaks. Listen, and when leaks go undetected, engines seize. Seizes up. One of the most embarrassing moments I had was Annie said she had a car, she had a Volkswagen, her engine light came on, and I said, I'll take care of it. I'll run it up to the shop. We just had some work done on it. Getting there, threw a rod. I'm like, how in the world does this car do that? They said, well, and they told me, so, well, your, the engine block was dry of oil. I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. Because two weeks ago, you just, you just changed out this and did this, and you, there's no oil anywhere in my garage. The point is, you're not always aware that stuff's leaking. But if it leaks and it's gone, that car comes to a stall. Living for myself, and I've, and I've talked to a bunch of people that's been, already been that path, and they'll say, yeah, I tried it, and um, f- from an outside perspective, it looks good, but from an inside perspective, I'm empty. And you don't have to hear many of those stories to realize that choosing to live just for yourself is an empty existence. The, the sad part about this is you don't realize that until you've gotten everything that you thought would make you happy. And the enemy likes to string us along. Well, no, 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 it wasn't that, it was this. No, 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 it wasn't that, it was this. No, 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 it's not this much, it's that much. And he'll keep stringing you along, thinking that, that there's more, that there's more, that there's more, and there's not. There may be more, but it's not gonna do what you needed to do. And yet, we're called out of that futility and running around in circles to a purpose in Christ. And part of that purpose is being a part of the body of Christ, a called out people. A satisfied church stays put. A stirred church spreads out. So here's the invitation this morning. It falls into two particular categories. One would be, do you need a Lord? Like people might have tried to convince you that you need a Messiah, you need to be saved, and you haven't, you're, you haven't moved on that needle, but you, you do understand this idea of Lord and giving your life to something. And you may have come in today or watching online today. And this is what, this is what happened. This, this is the bell that got rung in you, that you want to serve someone who gives and not someone who takes. And this morning, I invite you to make Jesus Lord. The second part of the invitation is, I want to see our church stirred by the Holy Spirit. And here's the interesting thing about that. Not everybody has to be stirred. You might not, you know, I don't know if I want to be stirred. It just takes a few. That's what I love about God. I never once read in any Old Testament battle where an inferior force went up against Israel. It was always a superior force that went against Israel. In fact, there's a story where, he, where, where God was so interested in proving his point that he whittled the army down to just a handful of folks. No, there's still too many. No, there's still too many. No, there's still too many. Gateway just needs a few. I'd like it to be a lot. But I want you, when we sing this last song in worship, I want you to determine something inside of yourself if you're a part of this church. Do I want to be stirred by the Holy Spirit? And I'm telling you, as a church, that's how I'm praying for us, that the Holy Spirit would stir us. 
stir us. See, we've been renewed, at least in my preaching, right? We've been renewed personally through the Spirit. And now I want you to see yourself as a collective and not as an individual that walks into this place. A collective. You know when you start belonging to a church when you just know one person? I don't know everybody. I don't know anybody. You don't have to. You're not going to. Stop trying. Start belonging by knowing one person, one group, one serve team, something. And then things start changing inside of you because you start belonging to a place that's picked you. Can I tell you that today? Picked you. So Father, in this moment of time, Lord, my confidence has not been and has never been in my ability to articulate anything, but in your ability to quicken your words to the hearts of your people. So Lord, those, if there's someone in the room, multiple people in the room or watching online that need and want to make you Lord, Lord, let it be today. And for us as a church, Lord, stir us individually and then stir us corporately. There's not a lot about the church in Antioch, but Lord, it seems like that would be a place I'd want to attend. It seems to me the church of Antioch would be the place that I'd want to belong to. I'd want to wear that name on a t-shirt. Lord, make us like them. Stir us into that in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Stand for me, please. In our response time, there's communion to the right and left, representing the blood and body of Christ broken and shed for us. If you want to make Jesus Lord, I'd love to have a chance to talk to you and pray with you up here. I don't know what stirred is going to look like for you as an individual today, but as we sing this, I speak Jesus. Please, please let the Holy Spirit stir you today. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.